the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is, and welcome back Thursday, January 27th, 2022. Picking up on uh, where we closed yesterday, it was in regard to a Joseph Epstein piece in the Wall Street Journal titled, What Are Republicans For? In short, the start... The um, the essay started asking what conservatives are for. And Mr. Epstein, long a teacher at the University of Chicago, which is to say saturated in the collegiality and intellectual geography of people like Alan Bloom and once upon a time Leo Strauss and a whole school of academic thought most people think of as conservative. Mr. Epstein in his piece pointed to our movement's brightest of lights that we need to better understand and read He named four of them, Adam Smith, Alexis de Tocqueville, Frederick Hayek, and Roger Scruton. As I pointed out yesterday, I, too, think each of those authors and thinkers are critical reading. I've read them all and reread some of them. And yet, and yet, did it strike anyone that not a one of them was an American? Two Englishmen, a Frenchman, and an Austrian is who he identified, which it doesn't necessarily dictate in any way whether their thought is right or wrong. I've long believed sometimes the foreigner understands us better than we understand ourselves, like the Cuban emigre to America who, after listening to Ronald Reagan extol the luck he had of being born here, said to him, you're lucky. I had some place to go to. Or like to Tocqueville's understanding of our democracy or the Marquis de Lafayette's or John Stuart Mill's understanding of the Union cause in the Civil War, Leo Tolstoy's understanding of Lincoln, or G.K. Chesterton's book on what he saw when he visited America. But is there nothing to be said for American thinkers about conservatism or an American brand of conservatism? Is it too much to think that if there is a wandering from our principles in civic health, maybe there is a pharmacy here that can help or a doctor? Let me put the question more strongly. If there's a problem with American conservatism, are there no American contributions to conservative thought that should be investigated? What, after all, is it conservatives in America are trying to conserve, you may ask yourself or be asked? I'm going to bet the first answer from anyone in earshot is America. They're trying to conserve America. So, No guidance about looking to our Declaration of Independence or the brain and writings of Thomas Jefferson or Alexander Hamilton or James Madison? What about the following century and Abraham Lincoln, whose entire public career was dedicated to distilling Jefferson and the Declaration? And in those, the natural rights views of the world and humanity and our cause. Or how about in the 20th century? It's not as if we don't have giant oaks of our own either, from William Buckley to the aforementioned Alan Bloom or James Burnham or Whitaker Chambers or Harry Jaffa or Walter Burns or Irving Kristol or Norman Foothorts or any number of names that could fill this monologue. Charles Kessler, he's a name that could be in there as well. He gives it to us this way in but one example of how conservatism American style is at war with things um, that – Redounding to Hayek will not 
get you to answering or get you to even addressing. But Madison would and Jefferson would and Hamilton would and Lincoln would. Heck, our country was the only one founded on the very axis. It is this. The prevailing liberal doctrine of rights traces individual rights to membership in various groups, racial, ethnic, gender, class-based, etc. We are undergoing a continual process of consciousness raising and empowerment. This was already a prominent feature of progressivism well over a century ago, though the groups have changed since then. Before Woodrow Wilson was a politician, he wrote a a political science textbook. And the book opened by asking which races should be studied. Woodrow Wilson. Wilson answered, we'll study the American race because the Aryan race is the one that has mastered the world. The countries of Europe and the Anglophone countries are the conquerors and colonizers of the other continents. They are the countries with the most advanced armaments, arts, and sciences. Wilson was perhaps not a racist in the full sense of the term because he expected the less advanced races over time to catch up with the Aryan race, but his emphasis was on group identity, an emphasis that liberals today retain, the only difference being that the winning and losing sides have been scrambled. Today, the white race and European civilization are the enemy, dead white males as a favored pejorative, for example, and the races and groups that were oppressed in the past are the ones that today need compensation privilege, and power. Conservatives, by contrast, regard the individual as the quintessential endangered minority. They trace rights to human nature, which lacks a race. You get that only in the American founding, by the way. Human nature also lacks ethnicity, gender, and class. Conservatives trace the idea of rights to the essence of an individual as a human being. We have rights because we're human beings with souls, with reason, distinct from other animals and from God. And you get that only in the American founding. We're not beasts, but we're not God or gods. We're the in-between thing. Conservatives seek to vindicate human equality and liberty, the basis for majority rule in politics, against the liberal constitution's alternative in which everything is based on group identity. That's what we're talking about restoring, isn't it? The right side of that axis, of that debate, that crucible. And for that, you go to the University of Chicago or Claremont, or used to. You don't go to 18th century England. Charles Kessler again. Until about 1774, Americans had, in fact, argued in favor of various conservative adaptations of the British Constitution to colonial conditions. But from 1776 on, they insisted on new, emphatically Republican constitutions of their own making, based on the unalienable or natural rights of man. To quote John Adams, there is no good government but what is Republican, and the only valuable part of the British Constitution had been Republican in effect, if not in intent. The British political tradition contained valuable principles then, which were sound not because they were British or because they were traditional, but because they happened to be good, which is to say in accordance with human nature. We founded our country on the good principles, let us remind, in accordance with human nature and made them uniquely American principles. The British, as nobody, didn't. Kessler again, the equality of citizens under law, free employment, opportunity, other aspects of tax policy. These are moral questions 
too, when seen from the point of view of American principles. But the moral case for them goes unmade by conservatives who are so depoliticized as to shun any appeal that cannot be reduced to a matter of efficiency, economy, interest, or tradition. Tradition can be a great, can be a good thing, of course, but it is never good or great because it is traditional. Slaveholders had their traditions too. To tell right from wrong within a tradition or among traditions requires a moral standard that has a validity or goodness independent of the tradition. It requires an abstract principle. Yet even in the familiar social disputes that currently royal our politics, conservatives seem cut off from the principles of the American Revolution. They invoke, let's say, traditional family values, for instance. As though the phrase itself were traditional, it's actually a very recent phrase that tries, I think inadequately, as Charles writes, to characterize and defend the American tradition of Republican or Democratic family life, rooted, of course, in the precepts of the Bible and nature. Even worse, they invoke traditional family values as though being traditional were quite enough, sufficient. In practice, the phrase often means little more than the family values that a majority in the past or present would like to see prevail. The populist conservatism of the last several decades converges here to produce a kind of historical majoritarianism, what Chesterton would call the democracy of the dead. But wanting to keep family values traditional, i.e. majoritarian, does not establish that these values are good necessarily. Uncomfortable with moral argument, conservatives increasingly rest, increasingly rest their case for morals legislation on majoritarianism precisely because it appears to relieve them of the need to make a moral argument. They assume that they do not have to show why certain human arrangements, for example, are wrong if they can show that most Americans disapprove of it. The abortion issue is the exception to this tendency precisely because conservatives cannot point with assurance to majority support for anti-abortion policies. On the premises of traditionalism, then, the conservative movement is ill-equipped to recognize, much less rescue, a country largely defined by its traditional allegiance to universal principles of justice. This is not to deny the common conservative view that Americans recent, America's recent liberal revolution is akin somehow to the various communist revolutions of the 20th century, nor that all of these contemporary upheavals are descended ultimately from the French Revolution. But these later revolutions were most assuredly not extensions of the American Revolution. You know how we started to take this seriously in a serious way? It was after the torching of cities. It was accompanied by a trashing of our statues, which is to say our history, and the trashing was indiscriminate. Toss out Robert E. Lee as much as Frederick Douglass or Abraham Lincoln. That was the ground war. The air war was initiated anew in the 1619 project to change all our history so as to make America look much worse than it ever knew or thought it was. It was America, all of it, the good and the not good that the radicals wanted to defenestrate and destroy. And we did something about it finally, small, but we did it. We did it with the 1776 project. And then the knives came out again. And then the Ed Biden administration walked into 1600 Pennsylvania. And among the new administration's first ha acts, it happened on day one, 
as Joe Biden likes to say, but it was literally true, which he also likes to say. It happened literally on his first day in office. The Biden administration took down from the government websites all reference to the 1776 project, and they took down the 1776 project itself. Two things can be divined from this action. A, the left takes us more seriously than we do, or at least in understanding how much real history and right thinking about that real and actual history is a threat to them, is in their way. And B, the cue as to what we are dealing with here in our opposition. It's the same thing Vaclav Havel was dealing with when he was imprisoned by his government and wrote this, quote, If the main pillar of the system is living a lie, then it is not surprising that the fundamental threat to it is living the truth. This is why it must be suppressed more severely than anything else, close quote. Think about that. This is why this will be the theme today, why the truth must be suppressed more than anything else. Let's remember that. And let's remember how we get out of it, a united effort and movement of American conservatism, as Kessler puts it, based on the principles of the American Revolution. It would teach both morality and freedom, order and liberty, and not as a fusion or agglomeration of opposites, but as inferences from the same set of principles, those principles being the rights of man under the laws of nature. I'm Seth Leibson. We'll be right back. My producer just told me something great. Um, I discovered Clay Travis. I didn't know that. <laughs> How did I discover? Did I, I read something of his a long time ago before he was a well-known name. Is that what it was, like five years ago? Is that right? <laughs> I love that. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show, coming to you live from the Guns Etc. Studio, 602-508-0960. So is he, you're, you're on the lookout for a thank you note from... <laughs> or something like that. Let me, let me get into this for a moment. It's something I really should have done yesterday. Honest to, to goodness with y'all, honest to goodness, I was about to, I was going to, I had some tabs open on it, and I just didn't. And it was the Neil Young, Joe Rogan controversy. You've, you're, you're, most of you are up on that. If you're not, uh, Neil Young, famous rock and roller, was part of Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Buffalo String, uh, Springfield had his own solo career. Canadian uh, until about a year ago, actually. Uh, and um, anyway, he's a, lib, a big lib, a big lefty, and he threatened Spotify, the music platform, the podcast platform, that as long as they kept Joe Rogan on, and Joe Rogan has this very popular podcast on Spotify, which let's get into whether it's right wing or not in a moment, but it shall we say, flies in the face of the modern current on at least the issue of COVID. Shall we say that? On COVID, Joe Rogan is much more like me or Dennis or someone like Alex Berenson than he is um, <laughs> everyone else. Okay, Joe Rogan is on our side. Team reality. Shall we call it that? Team reality. And so Neil Young threatened Spotify that he, he would leave. They should take down his music from the platform of Spotify if they kept Joe Rogan. It's either Joe Rogan or me is what Neil Young threatened Spotify with. And uh, Spotify chose wisely. Um, they <laughs> kept Joe Rogan and Neil Young is now off Spotify, which raises um, 
a really good question that I wish I wish was original to me, but it's not. Someone tweeted this, and uh, I would tell you who if I knew them. I just don't. Said the next thing that should happen is um, Joe Biden should threaten Spotify, Joe Rogan or me. <laughs> Since we seem to have a since we seem to have the beginning of a pattern here. No, in all seriousness, though, I wanted to get into it. I can tell you the reasons I didn't yesterday. One of them was I'm just not that familiar with Neil Young's work, and I haven't really listened to a whole Joe Rogan podcast. I've caught excerpts. So I didn't want to get into things I didn't know that much about. About. But I know the First Amendment, or I should say the free speech issue pretty well, and I know the COVID issue pretty well. And I thought it was just going to be saturated coverage. So I, I – whatever. I didn't get into it. I should have. There's always a multiple multitude of things you think you want to hit. And sometimes you're right and sometimes you're wrong. And maybe I should have done it yesterday. But in any event, there's a reason I wanted to do it today uh, and at least maybe take it in a slightly – different direction than a few others uh, have. Uh, But before I do that, it's important to note that while I called Neil Young a lefty and Joe Rogan, I kind of stumbled on. That's right. I think it's right to stumble on Joe Rogan. Bill, have you listened to an entire podcast of his ever? Are you familiar with you're pretty familiar with Joe Rogan's work? And it's not all political, by the way. the guy comes from comedy and 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 athletics, right? That's his background, isn't it? Uh, best I know. And um, to say he's a right winger, though, isn't in any way right. This is a man who endorsed Bernie Sanders for president, right? I, I'm pretty sure about that. Uh, I, something I read earlier pointed out that he was a Bernie Sanders supporter. He was not a Donald Trump fan. Um, he's just a unique and individual thinker that it's probably fair to say tilts libertarian, but also um, what? Uh, thinks outside the box, a phrase I hate, but I think is actually and eminently true in this case, right? That's Joe Rogan. Uh, but probably on a lot of political considerations about as left wing as Neil Young. How popular is Neil Young? Well, he Buffalo, Springfield, and Crosby, Stills, and Nash. His solo may be a little less. So I looked it up. Something in the neighborhood with his solo career and uh, CSN career combined, CSN and Y career combined, about 70 million albums sold. That's nothing to sneeze at. Uh, but I just thought, well, what do other Neils do? That's half of Neil Diamond, by the way. <laughs> and they started about the same time. So just to give you – I want to get a little bit more into this um, when we come back. It's an interesting cultural moment. It's not necessarily the most teachable of cultural moments, but there is something to teach and thus something to learn from it. And hopefully we can add something new when we come back. I have a thought or two on it. 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. So uh, in regard to the f- fight between Neil, um, Neil Young and Joe Rogan, um, let, me, uh, let me first go to Tina and Star Valley and let me come back in just a moment on something I learned about Spotify that I didn't know. But Tina, hi. I, you, Tina, your ears must have been burning. 
I was talking to my producer about you uh, before the show started. Truly, I was. I actually was. Wow. I I feel gratified. All good stuff, too, by the way. Why, thank you. And, uh, yes, and I, oh, man, you know, one takes one joy where one can get it. Yeah, and yeah. This, this Neil, Neil Young uh, thing, I, I think I told Bill, I want to gleefully talk about the Neil Young debacle. Good, good. <laughs> Isn't that a funny line, Joe Biden should threaten to resign if Spotify keeps Joe Rogan? <laughs> yes. I love that line. <laughs> I love it. Oh, it's perfect. Yeah. I know. Um, I, I just, uh, uh, first of all, my husband and I were talking about this this morning. We, we both believe that Neil Young is vastly overrated. I do too. And Thank you. Yeah. I mean, he has that kind of whiny nasal. I don't think sound. the lyrics are that sophisticated. I don't think the singing is nope. that good and the guitar has never blown me away. Well, yeah. And he's, you know, he should be grateful for the fame and fortune that he's gotten. You bet. Because I think it's above his pay grade. Well, it was above um, his citizenship. He made his money in America. He didn't, uh, he yeah. didn't become a citizen until, uh, until last year. Yeah. And I saw a picture of him recently. And I, I'm not sure if he and I are the same age. I'm, I'm almost 75. And I think he is, uh, you know, my contemporary, and he just looks like a sour old guy. My producer Bill just sent me a a text. The top three Canadian musicians in order, Rush, Maynard Ferguson, and anyone besides Neil Young. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what about about Gordon Lightfoot? What about Shania Twain? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. Well, you know, he, he did manage to kind of plug into the harmonies with CSN. Yeah. You know, and CSN is three letters, and then it was Y. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I saw those guys uh, back in the day, and they had divine harmonies. Yeah. Really good. Yeah, there's some great um, stuff there. Yep. Yeah. I mean, the fir- that first album is extraordinary. You bet. And, you know, and some of the other stuff. But, but Young managed to be, I think he piggybacked and became more famous because of those guys. I don't know if he's grateful. doesn't strike me as a grateful kind of guy. Um, but I just think, you know, hoisted yourself with your own petard yeah. is, yeah. you know, <laughs> there he is. If you shoot for the, what was it, something? If you shoot for the king, make sure you don't miss. Yeah. Yeah. Really. Yeah. 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 yeah, and apparently he's going to lose a ton of money. Well, yeah, I imagine he is. I imagine he will now because Spotify yeah. is huge, and he ain't there by his own no, by his own, as you say, yeah. hoisting. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. and I am there. I, I listen to Spotify all the time, and uh, of course, never listen to him. And uh, you know, and I'll still play Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, and listen to his, you know, background harmonies. But that's about it. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, yeah. I think your analysis is spot on. Spotify on. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, you didn't have to laugh. <laughs> really. <that. laughs> and I, 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 I wanted to thank you for having those wonderful ladies on. Yeah, the weren't they great? Um, Yes, and I went to their website, and I bought T-shirts and signed up. Oh, that makes me happy. That's great. They're great ladies. I really can vouch for them. I've known them collectively for 50 years, uh, which is to say I've known one of them for 40 years and one of them for 10. Our families have known each other. They're good people. They are just good people. 
Well, and they're doing good stuff, and God bless Arizona. You know, it's my adopted state. I'm from the, you know, the commie state of Hawaii, and I want Arizona to not become like Hawaii. That's right. So... That's yeah. right. We're yeah. going to have to have more, more, more bumper stickers. It used to just be "Don't California, my Arizona." We're going to have to have quite a few. Aren't we? <laughs> yeah. Don't, al- don't aloha, Kate. Yeah, my, my, yeah. my Arizona. What would be our expression here? What would be the equivalent of aloha in Phoenix? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> we'll think about it. Um, cactus. I'm I, not I don't sure. know. Don't aloha, my cactus. I don't know. So. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, sure is hot out today. <laughs> hot enough for you? Yeah, it might be that. Yeah, really. Okay, Tina. Well, Bless you, dear, God, God, God speed. All right, I'm Seth okay. Gibson. We'll be right back. Boy, we're doing good music today, aren't we? Uh, that guy, The drummer, uh, you know, was uh, Sonny Curtis, who did the Mary Tyler Moore theme show, Love is All Around. Recently, CBS Sunday Morning did a tribute to him, and I was glad to see that I was one of the only people I know of that knew he was uh, one of the crickets, Buddy Holly's crickets. Anyway, all right, Spotify, Young, and Rogan. Not a laugh. And uh, so one of the things in delving into this, I, I, I poked around a little bit to learn something about Spotify that I did not know. Chief Lee... The following. It's a company based in Sweden. It's a Swedish company owned by two people who live in Sweden. Did you know this, Bill? I didn't. I just, you know, I don't know. It doesn't matter much that I assumed it was American. I just assumed it was. But it dawns on me that if Joe Rogan is going to get in trouble with Team Fear and the American or international left because of what he says about COVID, I'm guessing if there's a country that's in sync more than any other with Joe Rogan's views on COVID, it's probably Sweden. And if you have a memory that goes back further than two weeks, or if you have access to a kind of machine that could find articles of yore, you may recall how much contempt the world had for Sweden's COVID non-policy. Sweden's policies on COVID were roughly akin to the 1968 Rolls-Royce ad campaign. No ads needed. Just the happy faces of the men and women behind the steering wheel. That'll do just fine, thanks. Oh my gosh, how many articles and headlines about Sweden leading the way to Armageddon because they actually kind of trusted their people and didn't think they needed to upend every part of their society, particularly their children's lives, for a virus. And how many articles about the death count in Sweden and how harm, how much harm Sweden was extrapol- um, sending out, to, uh, disseminating out to the rest of the world? Well, how many articles are there about Sweden now? Well, how many of those headlines? I did a little thing here. You can do it, too. Deaths per capita by country, COVID. Worldometers is the preferred site for most. Sweden's not one. It's not two. It's not three. It's not four. I could do this all day. It's 59. Sweden is 59. Coming in 
ahead of such countries that have been praised for their policies like France, doing better than France by a factor of 20 countries on their per capita death rate, better than Spain, better than the U.K. People say Mexico's doing all right. Better than Mexico, better than Italy, better than the United States of America by a lot. Where did the USA come in, you may ask? Not great, at least not compared to Sweden. USA came in 19, 19, comes in 19 as of now, deaths per capita due to COVID. And it just doesn't make sense, as you all well know, to do gross deaths. It just doesn't make sense because some countries are obviously bigger than others. That's why we do it per capita. What was their death rate? And Sweden, okay, it wasn't, it wasn't 290th, but it was better than everyone was saluting France and the U.K., and was supporting the policies of the United States. It did better than all of them. Came in 59. So there might have been part of that going on here with Spotify. There might have, That might have been a part of it. I kind of, in a way, hope it is. Because I would hate to think that there's another country out there that understands freedom of speech better than we do. But the sad fact is there very well may be at this point. The saddest thing I heard over any radio in probably 20 years, I'm trying to think, maybe my whole life, I don't know. But the saddest thing I've heard on radio in at least 20 years was Dennis Prager saying, when he re- came back from Hungary recently, it was the first time in his life he had the feeling, the first time in his life he had the feeling that, Bill, fill it out. What did he say? I'm leaving a more free country for a less free country. That's right. That's right. That's right. And this, this pains me. But we have this now. We don't have this appreciation for freedom of speech. Uh, the ladies on the view got into this. Um, it's a, can, can I? Do you want to be entertained for a moment? Listen to you want entertainment. All right, for a moment I'll be an entertainment show. This is from the View. Is it Spotify's job to sort of pick this up and no. run with the ball? No. no. Whose no. job? It's not Spotify's job. We have a First Amendment in this country. We have to stick with it. You can't just pick and choose when you want to use the First oh, Amendment. I disagree with that. Okay. Well, I'm going to tell you what I mean. What do you think? <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I agree that Joe Rogan is a horror. A horror. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way to counter that, bad speech, is with more speech. The way to counter it is with boycott, uh, boycotts. Mm-hmm. Um, I admire Neil, uh, Neil for doing this, mm-hmm. Neil Young. He's from the 60s, you know, where musicians took political stands in those days. Mm-hmm. They didn't just let everything go the way they're doing now. I mean, I don't see too many people taking a stand right now. So maybe other yeah. musicians will follow suit, and that would be legitimate. Mm-hmm. But it's not a cancel culture. It's a consequence culture. It, and the way we handle is we don't buy Spotify. We ignore Spotify. But don't you want good corporate citizens, Joy? I mean, you have, you know, people always came down on Facebook and they came down.
came down on Twitter and they said they're disseminating all this dangerous information. Don't they have some accountability for it? It is their platform. It is their business. And I want a good corporate citizen. I want a citizen that has a policy. I mean, I'm not saying that Joe Rogan should be removed from Spotify. He's got 11 million listeners. Oh, well then, He's got a hundred million dollar, you know, contract as of 2020. But I do think as, as the, the podcast um, platform, you have to have some sort of guidelines. How about a disclaimer on 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 his okay. podcast that says, That's you fine. know, this is misinformation. How about removing? oh, how about not? And by the way, mark this day, January 27th is the only day I 90 percent or thereabouts agreed with Joy Behar. We'll see if see if she sticks to that First Amendment point. How about not putting those labels on and letting people decide for themselves? I wouldn't work for a corporation that told me what you're hearing is misinformation. But that's the real problem. See, we're all talking around the sides of this thing. We're all talking around the free speech elements of it. And we're forgetting the point of the First Amendment in the first place, the notion of free speech, which, as Learned Hand said, presupposes that right conclusions are more likely to be gathered out of a multitude of tongues than through any kind of authoritative selection. Here's the big thing everyone's missing. I know Joe Rogan's recently on Spotify, but he had a podcast before Spotify that kind of just moved to, you know, to, uh, to Spotify. If people had listened to Joe Rogan a year ago, less lives would have ended, more freedom would have ensued, the economy would not be where it is. And I'll tell you, Joe Biden would probably actually be having a better time of it. It's because you folks on the left, you censors, didn't want to hear it, that we have more problems than we should. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Yeah, I wonder how much Joy Bahar would like it if ABC put a tag at the bottom of the view that said the opinions you hear may be misleading. The opinions you hear may not be based in truth or what you are hearing may be fake news. That's that's what she wants Spotify to do. But nonetheless, I mean, think about what the silliness of that is. The corporation usually I mean, the New York Times says all the news that's fit to print. You think that's okay? Is that okay? Democracy dies in darkness is the Washington Post's motto atop its front page. But but my larger point is: do you if you if you can also pick your memory banks for a little more than two months ago, you'll remember that CNN and the people in Joy Bahar's world went after Joe Rogan on everything because he used and said he used ivermectin when he got stricken. With COVID. Okay. Okay. I'm going to just stake my all on this. I'm going to wager that in about five years, maybe less, probably not longer, in about five years, you are going to see some mea culpas on this ivermectin thing. You're going to see some regret about the positions those against therapeutics took. I'm just going to bet on that. And the reason I'm going to bet on that is because of the CDC itself, which changed and, and and not only changed, but changed the terminology of overnight on their website, the definition of a vaccine. The vaccine is if you listen to the CDC, if you listen to Rochelle Walensky, if you listen to Joe Biden is now a therapy. 
therapeutic. That's what it has become, something that mitigates the damage once you've gotten the disease it doesn't, or the virus. It doesn't stop you from getting the virus or, for that matter, from communicating it, which is typically what a vaccine does, at least traditionally what the definition of a vaccine is. But my larger point, going to the point of the First Amendment, that seems to have so little succor or favor on the left, is that the whole point of it was to achieve good solutions, or as Learned Hand says, right conclusions from a multitude of tongues, so that A, people can decide for themselves based on what they hear, and also so that you can have a fair hearing in what you might call the political scientific method in some respects or another. And if there wasn't so much antagonism to Joe Rogan, that great right-winger who supports Bernie Sanders, or, I don't know, Dennis Prager, or me, or Heather Mack, I just think a lot more lives would have been saved, a lot more heartache would have been prevented, a lot more people would have a lot more money, a lot more children would be a lot more mentally healthy and a lot more educated. This is the problem of censorship. And I'm glad it took a Swedish company yet again to teach us how we should be doing things ourselves based on our own founding. Douglas Murray in the house and coming right up. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 